It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Georgia Barker sounds like such a fun granny. I just love how she can make cute games with her grandchildren to create amazing memories. Family is so important, and to be able to connect with some distant relatives and have such close ties with them is such a blessing to hear. Georgia also exemplifies what a great friend we all should strive to be. I am so grateful to get to spend this time with her. Georgia, I'm so glad you could visit with me today. Thank you. Let's start with, where were you born? I was born in Carbondale, Illinois. I was made in Waco, Texas. My parents were in school at Baylor, and when they graduated, they went to Carbondale to Southern Illinois University to work on their master's. So they moved up there shortly before I was born. I mean, like maybe just weeks before I was born. So although I was born in Illinois, I consider myself to be a Texan. <laughs> All of my parents, grandparents, great-grandparents are Texans or were Texans and are buried in Texas. So I have Texas DNA. So, <laughs> Did you get to visit down there very much? Well, before COVID, I did. I uh, actually grew up in a, a very abusive home, and my dad did not let us know my mom's family. And so several years ago, I got a Facebook request from this lady in Texas I had no idea who she was, so I I actually volunteer at two jails in Nashville. And that Friday, we were starting a new series of lessons, so I had to go to jail. So I decided that I would try to figure out who she was later. And when I did, we had two cousins in common. And so I accepted her and I sent her a message and explained how these cousins and I were related. And she said, oh, Georgia, I know I'm a cousin, too. So she told me who her grandmother was and her grandmother and the grandmother of these other two cousins and my grandmother were all sisters. So she and these other cousins are the only family that I have left. And so she and I, although we're second cousins, we consider each other to be sisters because we are so much alike. We're both left-handed. We have the same eyes. We do things in our homes the same. 
And her husband just rolls his eyes and shakes his head and will say, y'all are scary (laughs) because we're so similar. How exciting for you to get to meet her out of the blue like that. I'm telling you, it has completely changed my life. Yeah. So I have not been to Texas since September of 2019. We talk on the phone, we text through the day, every day. We always tell each other good night. But it's not the same as being in the house and having her husband teasing both of us at the same time and both of us in stereo saying the exact same thing to him. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm hoping that before too much longer, I can... Yeah. Well, can you share with me how it was to grow up in Illinois? I didn't grow up in Illinois. I was just there long enough to be born and for my parents to get their master's degrees. Oh, okay. And then my dad went into the Air Force and we went to Japan. So. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So my first language was Japanese. Because my mom was teaching, my dad was working, and the lady who took care of me was Japanese. So she and I would go to the market, and here I was, this little redheaded kid speaking Japanese. And apparently that caused some surprise looks, I guess. So when we got back to the States, my parents had this three-and-a-half-year-old redheaded kid who was fluent in Japanese, but who wasn't that great at English because the lady who took care of me was Japanese, and so she's the one I talked to most of the time. Yeah. Now, that was two years before kindergarten or first grade or something like that. So did that cause problems in school? Once we got back to Texas, apparently I picked up English pretty easily. And usually people will ask, well, can you still speak Japanese? Well, I haven't had anybody to talk to in Japanese since 1957. So I still remember some things, but I don't speak it anymore. Hmm. Because, you know, if you go into Walgreens and you're speaking Japanese, they don't have a translator. (laughs) That's sad that you weren't able to keep that. Do you wonder sometimes if it would come back if you'd gotten that? I do wonder. I do wonder about that. I just don't know. Yeah. I don't know how that would work. Well, tell me more about your childhood. Well, the years that we lived in Texas, I was able to be with my mom's parents quite a bit. It was her extended family that I wasn't able to know, you know, like cousins. And I didn't know any of those people, but my grandparents were... Two of the best people I've ever known. And my mother was an only child, so 
when they got to have grandchildren, they were so excited. Mm-hmm. And my papa had to retire the year I was born, which was 1953. He had a very serious heart condition. And my grandmother taught home ec and geometry. And so when I was little, at the time I had just one brother and Papa would play ball with him and grandmother was an artist and she made lots of my clothes, lots of my mom's clothes. She used to make us dresses that matched and she had this huge, huge container of the scraps from different things that she had made. And so my brother Jay and Papa would be out in the yard playing ball and I would go drag that container out into the living room and dump it. And I would just sit there and play with the fabric and she and I would talk about colors and different things. And when I was two, she put me on her lap at the sewing machine. And when I was four, she stacked phone books at the sewing machine and I got to sew at the machine by myself. So I don't remember a time when I haven't been sewing. I actually have her sewing machine. I can't use it. It came in a cabinet, so I use it as like a a small table, but I can't use the machine because it needs some repair. Mm. But I have it. And it's a singer. You had to use your knee to make it go. There's a knee pedal. Uh-huh. And really, I didn't care what we did as long as I was with my grandparents because I knew I was safe. Yeah. So my grandmother instilled things like the inside of your garment has to look as good as the outside. So when I got to home ec in seventh grade, my home ec teacher, I remember she was looking at a dress I was making and I told her that I needed to take this one part out and do it again. And she said, why? It looks fine. And I said, no, it needs, I don't remember what the detail was, but I described to her what the detail was. And she just kind of looked at me and I said, my grandmother taught home ec, so it has to look as good on the inside as it does on the outside. And she just nodded. (laughs) Nodded yes or nodded no? (laughs) Nodded yes. I mean, she wasn't going to argue with that. (laughs) Anything else you want to share about growing up? Well, because my dad was in the service for a while, we lived in Texas, and then we spent five years at the Air Force Academy in Colorado. My youngest brother was born there, and that's where I was when President Kennedy was killed. 
And he had just been to the Air Force Academy in August before he was assassinated. And he spoke at the stadium. I didn't get to go because I'm sure it was for cadets. But that was a very shocking thing that happened. And then only a few years later, we had the assassination of Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy. And by that time, we lived in Rockville, Maryland, right outside of Washington. And when Martin Luther King was assassinated, there was looting, there was rioting. That was the year that Resurrection City was set up between the Washington and Lincoln memorials on the mall. Now there's a big, not a pool like you swim in, but a big expanse of water. But at the time, it was just a mall. It was just grass and people brought tents. And that's the only year in the history of the Cherry Blossom Festival that it was canceled. And it was because of all of the unrest in the city. After that, we got to move back to Texas. I was happy when I got the news that I was going back. Yeah. What did you do after high school? Well, I graduated on a Tuesday night, and Wednesday morning at 7.30, I was sitting in freshman English at North Texas State University, which is now the University of North Texas. No break at all for you, huh? Nope. No break. And I took classes around the calendar until I graduated, but we moved in July of 72, we moved to Southern Indiana. So my degree is from Indiana State, but it's in secondary education and English. Shortly after David and I married, he was transferred from Terre Haute to Peoria, Illinois with his job. So I arranged my school and work schedule so that I could leave at noon on Thursday and drive four and a half hours and I could be at our apartment by the time he got home from work. And every time I would say, I can't do this anymore. And so we'd have about three days where we pretended I wasn't going back. And then as soon as the amen was said on Sunday morning, I got in the car and I would head back to Indiana. And so we lived apart from November of 73 to December of 74. I graduated in December of 74. I did my student teaching in Rockville, Indiana. And... Some of my seniors were almost the same age as I was because I was 20 when I did my student teaching. 
I turned 21 in November and graduated in December. When I moved to Illinois with David, I could not find a teaching job. So I got a job at the First National Bank of Peoria in the trust department. There were 26 of us in the department. And I think 13 of us were unemployed teachers. So, wow. And then the recession of 75 hit and David lost his job. When he was able to find a job, it was in North Alabama. And so we put what few things we had into a U-Haul and we moved to North Alabama. I loved living there. And some of my dearest friends are still in North Alabama. Oh, nice. And now that we live in Middle Tennessee, I can actually get down to see them within an hour and a half or so. Cool. Now, while you were in Alabama, were you able to use your teaching degree? No, in fact, I mean, I had an interview and I remember the superintendent looked at me and said, well, Mrs. Barker, why should I hire you when there are plenty of people from Alabama who need jobs? Hmm. I thought that was rude, but I just looked at him and I said, well, I'm in Alabama now. Yeah. And maybe new blood. I don't don't know. I didn't get the job, so apparently I didn't answer that (laughs) properly. But I was 21. I didn't quite know how to answer that. Yeah. You can't see. I'm just standing here shaking my head for you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Um, I don't know if he realized how that sounded. Probably not. But I just thought that was a very odd question. Yeah. It was in Alabama that I learned about quilts. We had moved from Hartsville, Alabama to Athens, Alabama. And I may get weepy at this point. I had just lost a baby. I think it was only a couple of weeks before we moved. And when we found a church, the wife of one of the elders invited me to her house and she said, bring your sewing machine. And I had a portable Elna at the time that David had bought me in 1977. So I got directions to her house, put my machine in the car, and off I went. And her name is Mott, M-O-T. In the South, a lot of 
women who are named Martha are called Mott. So Mott and Freed, her husband, if I could have chosen parents, they are who I would have chosen. I remember she had her sewing machine set up in the back bedroom and she had a place for me to put mine. And she said, okay, we're going to work on making pillows. And I thought, okay. And so she handed me these strips of fabric and she said, now what we're going to do is called the log cabin pattern. Well, to this day, that is my favorite pattern. And years and years ago, in 1999, when I was reunited with my cousin Paul, I went to Texas to visit him one weekend. And he and his wife took me to the house that our grandmother's grew up in as little girls it was out in the country and there was this big sign across the driveway with a heavy chain that said no trespassing and so Paul gets out of his truck and he takes the chain down and we go up the driveway and he goes up to the door and knocks on the door and explains that we are there because that homestead is where our great-grandparents lived. And he asked if we could just walk around. There were pecan trees, and the lady said, well, you can come in. So we go in the house, and there's a hallway, and we can see two sides of a log cabin. And we went down the hall into what they use as a den now. They had built their house around the log cabin that our great-grandparents lived in and our grandmothers lived in as little girls. And I cannot tell you how emotional it was to get to stand where my grandmother used to play as a little girl. So the log cabin pattern has always meant a lot to me. And years ago, when I was going to Texas to visit my cousins, I made my cousin Paul a log cabin quilt. His favorite colors are red and green. So he now has a red and green log cabin quilt. That is so amazing that you got to go there and experience that. That is so wonderful. And from the outside of the house, they still have the original chimney and Paul got in the flower bed right next to the chimney and found a little piece of the stone from the chimney and gave it to me. Oh, 
so I have a little tiny piece of my great grandparents' chimney. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a thing. I don't know what the technical name is. I don't know if it has a technical name, but it's a thing that's shaped like a baseball bat, but it's only about six inches long. And one time when I was visiting my grandmother, she had it in a glass case. And I said, Grandmother, what is that? And she started laughing. She said, you don't know what that is? And I said, no, ma'am, I don't. And she said, well, take it out and look at it. She said, do you know what it is now? And I said, no, ma'am. And she laughed again. And she said, that's what my mother used to use to keep the spinning wheel spinning. And apparently, there are some places on it where it looks like it was burned a little bit. And it's a piece of oak. I can tell that by the grain of the wood. So it's entirely possible that she used that in that log cabin. Mm -hmm. So I got ready to put it back in the case. And she said, oh, no, I want you to take that. You keep it. So that's one of my most cherished possessions because my great-grandmother used that. And it's interesting, when I became a grandmother, of course, you know, I had to figure out what I wanted to be called. And I said, I want to be granny. Well, come to find out later, my great-grandmother was called granny. Oh, neat. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh-huh. And there is nothing in the world like when the kids come in and say, Granny, <laughs> Granny, will you play with me? I sure will. Yeah. Now, I have to say, years ago, when I had just my first grandchild, who is Lena, when she was little, I was on the floor playing with her, and it got time for me to have to get up out of the floor, and I said, Lena, I cannot get up out of this floor. I don't know what the deal is, and she looked at me, and she wasn't being ugly or anything. She said, well, Granny, you're old. <laughs> well, I got so tickled and laughed so long and so hard. But then I was able to get up out of the floor. <laughs> you know, she was just making an observation, you know, from being like four years old or so. Yeah. Grandkids are great. Oh, yeah. They're called grand for a reason. <laughs> I like that answer. Miles is actually coming to see me tonight. Oh, neat. And he always wants to know if I've made chocolate chip cookies for him. And I'll say, "Uh, you know, Miles, I think you need to go look. I'm just, I'm not quite sure if I, you need to go look. And he'll grin and he'll go in there and he'll say, Granny, you did make chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) It's this running gag we have. (laughs) That's so great. It just kind of evolved. Mm -hmm. And... He's so funny because he'll get here, he'll play for a while, and then he'll ask the question, you know, with those great big china blue eyes. And, you know, I make up an answer 
I don't, I'm not sure. I, and, you know, he runs in there. He knows exactly where they're going to be. And, Grandy, you did make them. <laughs> like he's surprised, you know. How fun. Yes. Let's move on to besides quilting, are there other crafts you do or have done? I used to do a lot of cross-stitching years and years and years ago. I did quilling, which is a paper craft. You take very narrow strips of paper and you can make flowers out of them. I did that for a while. Pretty much everything, I would say the majority of what I have done has been sewing related. Mm-hmm. When the girls were little, Lena and Charlotte, I used to make dresses for them. And then I realized that I just really don't enjoy doing garments. I really want to make quilts or pillowcases. That's really what I enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. And I really prefer hand piecing and hand quilting. In fact, when we lived in Franklin, Tennessee, for several years, I taught a hand piecing and hand quilting class at the rec center. And the ladies would come in, or I did have a couple of gentlemen. They would come in the first day, and after I introduced myself, I would always ask for a show of hands for those who are perfectionists, and usually every hand would go up. And I would say, well, you can leave now, or you can check it at the door. Because there's only one who does things perfectly, and he's not taking the class. And usually, you know, there was kind of a collective sigh of relief. But I had one lady I felt so badly for because she bought all the tools. She bought the fabric. She did everything but cut into her material. So it was a three-month class, and she never took the chance to actually make what we were making. I always would have them make a small wall quilt because I think it's better to start out with something smaller than to come in and say, okay, I want to make a king-size quilt. How about not for the first thing you do? Because you can get so discouraged so quickly. So when the class was over, she didn't have anything to take with her. And I felt so badly for her because she didn't feel as though she could take the leap. I mean, I would always tell them, I have learned over the years to give myself a three strikes and I'm out. If I can't get it the way I want it to be in three tries, I make myself move on. 
because I found myself spending entirely too long on this one thing. And I realized that I had to do something to make myself move on so I could complete whatever it was I was doing. Now, are there other hobbies that you do? I'm trying to be a better gardener. I really love flowers. And while we were gone a few weeks ago, I had two great big bushes taken out so that I can use those two areas and plant wildflowers. I love wildflowers. I'm not a real big bush and shrub person. So I'm trying to learn about different flowers, you know, what they need, just how to do a good job with that. I like to read. I like the idea of reading novels, but that's not what I read. I like to read biographies. Right now, my best friend and I are reading a book on Eleanor Roosevelt. Last year, we read a book about Robert E. Lee. It was written by his nephew, Fitzhugh Lee. So we read the same book, and then we'll have a phone conversation where we discuss what we've read. And I don't know why we didn't start this 24 years ago when I moved to Tennessee. She's in Indiana. We could have been doing this for much longer than we have been, but we really enjoy it. What a cool idea. Yeah, it really is. And Alberta's the one who came up with the idea. And I was like, that's brilliant. Why didn't why didn't we do this 20-something years ago? But we're doing it now, so. Yeah. It's so neat. A great way to keep that friendship going. Yes. We catch up in the conversation, but then we'll say, okay, now, what are your thoughts on chapter two or chapter 15 or whatever? And it's interesting because usually one or the other of us, maybe both of us, will hone in on details that didn't strike the other one. Isn't that interesting how that happens? Yes, it's fascinating. And I think it really enriches the whole experience of reading the book because you have somebody else's thoughts along with your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And Alberta is one of the most interesting people I've ever known because she's interested in so many things. She just knows a lot and she's always learning. Mm-hmm. She and I met in the hospital after I had had my son, Sam, and she had had her first son, Jeremy. She was my third roommate, and I knew by the time that Samuel and I went home 
that I wanted to know her the rest of my life. What a great way to start a friendship. She's a very emotionally healthy person. I reminded her the other day that the day that her parents came to the hospital from Van Wert to meet Jeremy, she said, okay, Georgia, my parents are coming to the hospital. There are two things you need to know. My father is mentally ill and my mother has only one arm because she lost her other arm in an accident. Wow, so she had it rough. She did. But her mother taught school. I knew her mom. I loved her. But that's just to let you know how emotionally healthy mm-hmm. she is. I mean, most people wouldn't say that. But she wanted for me to know that in case her dad said something bizarre and for me not to be shocked, you know, when her mom walked in the door. Yeah. Do you think any of your other hobbies, like with the reading or the gardening, does it show up in your quilting at all? Well, I mean, there are times when I have flowers in my quilts. Hmm. I guess I wouldn't say specifically, although when I made the log cabin quilt for my cousin Paul, he was a social worker for the state of Texas. He worked for Adult Protective Services, and so he traveled a lot throughout his week. He covered a large territory in central Texas. And so I purposely found fabric that had street signs. I had some fabric in there that looked like a map. I know some of his interests. He loves music. He preaches part-time. So I had fabric in there that had musical instruments, musical notes. I had fabric that had scripture. But to say, I don't think I have anything specific about books. I mean, I've had book fabric in there, but not not anything really specific that yeah. I can think of. That is so neat that you made him a quilt with his interests. Well, whenever I make a quilt, I try to incorporate the person's interests. When I made the one for my daughter-in-law, I think I gave it to her the Christmas that she and Sam were engaged, and even Sam didn't know about it. So the look on his face when she opened that was priceless. But, I mean, she loves the beach. She loves chocolate. She loves to read. She loves flip-flops. She loves animals. So I had fabric with dogs and kitties, books. I had fabric that has different pieces of chocolate candy on it, seashells, flip-flops. So I wanted for her to look at it and say, that's my quilt. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I'm picturing someone looking at the quilt and pulling out all those things. I can imagine she was so excited and surprised. She She was. And when I made Alberta a quilt, she had survived breast cancer. And the year that I made her quilt, there was a line of fabric that came out that was dedicated to breast cancer. So I used some of that. One of our favorite movies, I don't remember the name of it, but we went to see it together. It had Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin in it, and it was a comedy. And there was one scene where they get to their hotel room, and somebody has sent them a cheese assortment, and it says cheeses of the world. So I found fabric that had all different shapes and kinds of cheese on it. (laughs) And so when she looked at that, she just got so tickled. And we both said, cheeses of the world. (laughs) We're very easily amused. (laughs) That's so fun. Love it. Tell me about your favorite quilt. You know, that's really hard to say. I think I'm going to go with Paul's log cabin quilt. Because that quilt was for him, but it was also about me. It was about our family history. But I've really loved the quilts that I made for my grandchildren. I'm working on the one for Miles. Usually, at four years old, he would have had his quilt almost four years. But... We had just moved just right before he was born, and then I've had some health issues, so I'm behind. But I'm looking forward to doing his quilt. He's going through this thing right now where he thinks you can like only one color at a time. Boy, is he going to be surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, the color is blue but a few weeks ago the only color he liked was gray Hmm. but his quilt will be mostly blue and gray but it's going to have every color (laughs) do you have a tool that you just feel you can't do without when you're quilting i do I had a man years and years ago, probably 20 years ago, make me an acrylic template of my hand. And when I make a quilt, I quilt my hands in each corner. And that way, when the recipient gets the quilt if they need a hug they can just wrap up in the quilt so that's my favorite wow you've had so many great ideas and we haven't even got to my tip question yet (laughs) (laughs) well tell me about 
what part of the process is your favorite or do you like all the steps in the process? I like all of them except cutting, cutting out the quilt because I have arthritis in my hands. And so that is really challenging for me. But I love designing. I love piecing. April of 1997, we had a week like any other I've ever experienced. On Monday, we found out we were moving. On Wednesday, we found out my husband had cancer. And on Friday, we found out that my best friend, Alberta, had cancer. We also had, in my husband's family, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law were celebrating their 25th anniversary. Their older daughter was getting married. And my mother and father-in-law were having their 50th anniversary. So I spent a lot of time that spring and summer in doctor's offices. I took Alberta for all of her chemo treatments, and I would sit there in peace. So I had with me these three quilts for my niece, my brother and sister-in-law, and my mother and father-in-law in different stages of completion. And I really learned during that time how valuable Ziploc bags are. Because if you're a hand piecer, it's have Ziploc, will travel. I got so much accomplished while waiting for procedures or appointments. It gave me a lot of time to pray a lot of time to meditate and I got a lot done. Mm -hmm. That's such a lot on you for such a short period of time. It was intense. You know, I had two young children. Let's see, Sarah would have been 15 and Sam was 12. And so They were worried about, were they going to have a dad? Not only were they moving, you know, leaving everything they'd ever known, everyone they'd ever known, were they going to have a dad? Was Alberta, who's been like an aunt to them, was she going to be around? And I was subbing full time at the school that they went to. And I was scheduled for the rest of the year. Before I called the main office, I went to each teacher and said, okay, I'm supposed to be you on these two days. I can't, and told them why, because I wanted them to know before I called the main office. I thought that was the way I should handle it. Then I called the main office and explained what was going on, and that I would not be able to honor these dates that I was set for. And the woman was like, well, why not? And I said, well, I'm good, but I'm not so good that I can take care of two people I love the most in the world as they go through their cancer journey 
get two young teenagers ready to move and teach school. I didn't think that really needed to be clarified. You know, moving would have been enough. One of either David having cancer or Alberta having cancer would have been enough. But all of that combined, I really thought was pretty self-explanatory. But apparently it wasn't. Can you recall your worst quilting experience? (laughs) Oh, yes. I had made a small wall quilt out of a pattern by Little Quilts. It has four bear paws in the middle of it and then half square triangles around the edge. And so I got it all quilted, did the half square triangles and got ready to bind it. And the way I had quilted the half square triangles, when I got ready to bind the quilt, it cut off the quilting that was closest to the binding. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think so. How wide was your binding? Not wide. I don't do a wide binding. I cut the strips two and a half inches, so I do a double French fold. Okay. So I ended up having to take out all of the quilting for the half square triangles. So what I learned from that was that when I get to the very outside edge or border, whatever I have there that still needs to be quilted, I go ahead and bind the quilt. Hmm. And that way I can center my quilting and I don't have to worry about, oh, I need to leave this much room so that when I bind it, it won't be a problem. I just go ahead and bind it at that point because at the most I'm going to be just a few inches. The rest of the quilt is quilted, so nothing's going to shift. So I go ahead and do that, and I've <laughs> I've had a much more harmonious outcome <laughs> when I do it that way. That way you can see right where it is. Yes. I was thankful it was a small wall quilt and not, you know, some gigantic thing I was working on. Now, what has drawn you to making quilts rather than using your time on something else? There is just something about a quilt that, at least for me, is unmatched by anything else. For example, Lena's quilt, I have repaired that thing over and over. But that tells me that she loves it. You know, in the story of the Velveteen Rabbit, the rabbit is loved so much over time that it really starts looking kind of bedraggled. Well, that's how Lena's quilt started looking. 
And she finally put it away because I had repaired it so much. So I've started another quilt for her, which I started that before Miles was in the world. So Miles gets his quilt, and then I can go back to Lena's next quilt. To me, they're so comforting to know that somebody loves you enough to take the time and the effort to make a quilt, I think is pretty special. Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever made me one, but maybe one of these days I'll make myself one. Isn't it amazing how we keep giving them away and then we realize we don't have them for ourselves? I know. And when my grandmother was so sick, I was trying very hard to get the quilt for her finished, but I didn't achieve that goal. So when I did finish it, I gave it to my therapist who had helped me so much through the years. And he said, are you sure you want to give this to me? And I said, well, it's not for you personally. I'd already made one for him personally. I said, it's for you to have in your office so that when people are processing really painful events, they can have something to hold on to. How sweet. I'm sure that's been appreciated by many people. He says it has. It sounds like you make your quilts for family and friends. Yes. One time, David was with me and somebody said, well, do you ever sell them? And I said, oh, no. And they said, why? And David piped up, which I was surprised about. And he said, because they're priceless. I mean, that really got me. Mm -hmm. Do you have another tip you want to share with me? I guess I would say enjoy the process. If you're stressed out about life and quilting right now isn't working for you, just leave it alone. Because I think it's supposed to be a gift for the person you're making it for, but it's also a gift to yourself. You know, that you have this quiet time. I think being able to enjoy it is imperative. I just think it's very important. If we're not able to enjoy the process, I don't think the love will shine through. I'm just letting that sink in my own mind a little bit. I... So agree with you. Well, you know, in 1979, when I started quilting, I don't know that that would have been my answer. But all these years later, and life experiences later, that's my answer. Mm -hmm. Georgia, is there anything else that you wanted to share with me that you would like your friends and family to know about you? Just that I love them very much, and I'm very thankful 
for all of them. I have so enjoyed our time together. Thanks so much for spending this with me. I've enjoyed it too. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.